Welcome to the Texas Tribune Tripcast. This is Charles Miller, Texas entrepreneur and education advocate. Even with the funniest source of material, the Texas legislature, out of session, this podcast will make the most serious issues lighter and brighter. And now here's your host, Reeve Hamilton. Thank you. This is reporter Reeve Hamilton here with the Tripcast for the final week of August. Joining me is executive editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. Editor Emily Ramshaw. Good afternoon. And Ben Philpot, host of Agenda Texas on KUT and the Texas Tribune. Host. Hello. Host. <laughs> so Evan's not here, so if anyone would like to open with some unnecessary criticism of anything. Oh, the Yankees suck. Uh, actually, I got <laughs> unnecessary criticism starting at 6 a.m. from Evan today, so I'm, I've had just about enough unnecessary criticism today. <laughs> well, so, so let's move right into our topics then. Good morning. You were up, right? Yes. <laughs> Um, there were a number of major things that happened immediately after we finished recording our podcast last week. So people have been waiting Lucky for us, almost an entire week just on the edge of their seats wondering what we were going to say what about – What the analysis is. The Allen Police Department. That is one thing. Let's start with that one. Uh, who wants to fill us in on what exactly the sudden relevance of the Allen Police Department is to people outside of Allen, Texas? I would be honored. All right. Uh, so – Apparently, David Dewhurst has a very far-fetched relative. Somebody's far-fetched. She's a unicorn. I have some far-fetched relatives myself. <laughs> she is the his sister-in-law's fill in the blank niece. Here. Niece, sister-in-law's niece. Apparently, is that right? was arrested. It's, it's, he described her as a step-niece-in-law. Step-niece-in-law. Step-um-niece-in-law. Far-flung relative, maybe, uh, who was arrested. (laughs) (laughs) She was arrested for allegedly shoplifting at a grocery store uh, in North Texas, Um, and she was booked. And around the time that she was booked by the Allen Police Department or sheriff's uh, Collin County Sheriff, uh, Dewhurst made a phone call. David Dewhurst, the lieutenant governor, made a phone call to the Allen Police Department. And that's sort of how he introduced himself on this phone call several times. Uh, Lieutenant governor of the state of Texas. He was very careful to say, you know, you all should do what you are supposed to do. Um, You know, I'm not trying to tell you how to do your job. But, oh, by the way, I'm sure this woman is innocent. And can you please help? me get her out of jail. Uh, He also did um, add some choice lines to this, I think, 12-minute recording that would probably make any of his opponents jump for joy. Lines like, you know, I am the number one pick of all law enforcement in Texas. Lines uh, like, you know, could you please give me your supervisor's phone number? Can you give me the sheriff's phone number? Clearly that were meant, um, if not to to persuade this lieutenant on the phone or sergeant on the phone um, to indicate, you know, please make sure you know who I am and that I'm and that I'm asking these questions. Is that a good rundown? Yeah, it was. You know, it was. There's sort of two things about this. He shouldn't have made the phone call. You know, he. If you're going to lawyers if, are for. If you're going to do this right, this is what. This is why you have minions. Right. Right. Um, Ross has gotten me out of jail many times. A, He's never made the call himself. A, yeah, right. He always know. made me make the right, call, exactly. and I left you there. Somebody, <laughs> Reeves in jail again. Um, we know all those guys' phone numbers by now, though. Um, a, he shouldn't have made the call, and B, he was particularly bad at this. He was, like, unpersuasive and unaffective and, you know, 
it just didn't work. I mean, he was hardly a fixer here. It, it just made it worse and worse. So she ended up staying in jail all night because that didn't work. And he ends up with um, writing um, TV ads for Dan Patrick and Todd Staples and Jerry Patterson. You know, they don't have to and do any more. Texas they, Democrats. They have to find <laughs> whoever some, they are. All they got to do is find some pictures to put over the audio. It's it's really really embarrassing it's just like the oldest rule in the book you know i mean you mu- you know you're being recorded obviously because you're calling a police department um, don't give anyone that kind of fodder I, I he obviously didn't think it through all of that can you, know? you can you not cut him some slack just as a sort of frustrated and concerned step uncle-in-law that wanted i i don't i don't think he was out of line you know i don't think you're out of line you know calling, calling the police to try to get to get a relative out of a jam or having somebody else around you call police to get somebody out of a jam. But the whole, you know, I'm the, you know, uh, Todd Staples had a great tweet in this, you know, from Ron Burgundy. Um, you know, I'm kind of a big deal. Um, making that, you know, I'm kind of a big deal call. Do you know who I am call? It's just, it's just dumb. So does, I mean, I think Dan Patrick accused him of sort of an abuse of power. Does it really rise to the level or is the crime more just sort of being outed as a bumbler? Well, I think that it's really funny. A lot of the complaints I've heard is not that he made the call, but that he was so bad at it. There was one person who said, you know, that this is not how um, Lieutenant Governor Bullock would have handled a phone call. Somebody else. Yeah, he then, would have been the one in jail. Well, no, somebody, no, else, then yeah, tweeted, or, or somebody t- else then tweeted that none of the sheriffs uh, would have been dumb enough to arrest a relative of Bullock's back in the day. But... Well, and Bullock had seven, 17 people who would have been at the police department before Bullock even knew about it. <laughs> right. right. I, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with making the call. If you're in a position of authority and you care about your family, you're going to do what anybody else does. I well, just think it was that he you know, was clearly name dropping. He said, you know, I'm going to have DPS. I'm going to have Steve McCraw. Right. You know, call and confirm my identity, which is also to me very name droppy. And again, the nail in the coffin is the line about, you know, I'm the number one pick of all the law enforcement, which is clearly like, you know, I've been good to you guys. You should be good to me. It's not clearly that. There was even a political. I'm on your side. I I sort of agree with the line that, you know, the the, his mistake was when he uttered the words lieutenant governor of Texas, Mm. that everything else was fine. Hi, this is David Dewhurst. I've got a relative in jail. I'd like to see how to get her out. Can you help me? Mm hmm. That's all legit, and everybody would sort of go, yeah, I get that. You know, I'm a big deal starts down the wrong road. And yeah. it just – it was so tortuous. It was 12 mm-hmm. long, long minutes, you know. Um, well, we don't I, need to spend that much time right. on it then. Well, we already have maybe. <laughs> yeah. Are we ready to move on to the other? I mean, yeah. slightly more substantive news that came out sort of after our, our podcast last week uh, came from the Department of Justice. And what? why don't we have Ross fill us because in Because he's really the only one who understands everything, yeah. anything nerd, and everything about yeah, the voting Yeah, it's a nerd subject. Give it to somebody else, right? Um, well, let, let you, and, eat it. Um, you and Ben both have glasses, and I just chose Well, it you. is the glasses. So, yeah. But only one has Rick Perry glasses, and that is Ben. <laughs> I had mine first. <laughs> Um, Eric Holder, the attorney general of these United States, sued the state of Texas for now. Yeah, for the moment. uh, Sued the state of Texas to block implementation of the voter ID law that the legislature passed in 2011. It had been hung up in court. It was basically sprung out of court when the Supreme Court ruled earlier this summer against um, some provisions of the Voting Rights Act. And the state was in position to implement it. And in fact, state officials were working on it. Election officials in the counties around the state were working on it. And Holder came in and repeated uh, in in some form a line that the Justice Department used is using in its challenge to the state's redistricting maps that Texas has a recent history of racial discrimination 
and needs to be subjected to federal intervention before it can change its election law. So we've got this sort of two-front thing set up now where the federal government is asserting that even though the Supreme Court took Texas off of the list of states that have to have federal permission to change election laws, that um, because of its recent history, Texas ought to be back on that list. So, so basically it's it's the Voting Rights Act without the Voting Rights Act sort of? Well, the, the, all, the, all the Supreme Court did was um, strike the list of states that had historical discrimination um, and say, you know, you, you can still have federal intervention and the feds can still say, you know, this state discriminates and we need to oversee it. But the list of states that was uh, written into the original Voting Rights Act, which included Texas, um, was struck. There's so, no preclearance. This, somebody has to make the decision to sue. You can still have preclearance if a state is shown, if a judge finds that a state um, intentionally oh, okay. and recently discriminates. And, and what the Justice Department is saying is that, well, you know, start with Texas and then we'll move to North Carolina. And, you know, they're just, they're just being pretty vigorous and, and um, you know, pretty aggressive about enforcing the voting rights. So act. you said this was sprung from a court, uh, from another court uh, uh, logjam. Mm-hmm. What's are, what's the chances that it'll get back in a logjam before the primary? Well, in other words, not be ava- not be available. It, to, it depends. So, the, so the legal status of the of the state's voter ID law right now is that there is nothing preventing the state from putting it into action. So, isn't it in action? Right. I mean, there are elections this week in South Texas. Isn't it in action? And this there was, week? I think, there was a, an election in Galveston already right. where right. they used right. voter so, ID. So, voter so right. it kind of depends on the status of local officials and whether they're you know prepared to. Mm-hmm put it into effect. You can still vote if you don't have the photo ID. You just vote provisionally. And they only count provisional votes if there are enough provisional votes to swing an election. Mm-hmm. So, you know, your vote doesn't count until and unless they need it. And when they go to the provisional votes, they say, okay, now let's start checking these votes. So um, at the moment, state has a photo ID law, and the feds are trying to block it before the 2014 primaries, which because of the fight over the redistricting maps might not be in March. So this could, you know, this could play out for another year. Should anyone be surprised that uh, the federal government is going after Texas and that Texas politicians are not happy with the federal government? Well, I'm, I'm a little surprised that the federal government's being this aggressive about it. I mean, this, this, this fight's been going on for a long time. And, and there's a, it's easy to conflate, you know, the racial arguments in Texas and other states with Democratic and Republican argu- with partisan arguments, because as it happens, minorities vote for Democrats. And so the Republicans can say, we're just doing this for politics. We're not doing this about race. And the Democrats can say, no, you're doing this about race. You're not doing it for politics. And that's sort of the crux of the fight. Texas is the one. It's the biggest red state in the country. It's, you know, there's a, there's a, you know, there's a lot going on politically with, with Texas, if not in actually changing the state from Republican to Democrat, then at least using the state as a foil for Democrats. Um, you know, there isn't a heck of a lot of money here, if not a lot of votes. And, and and I think this just plays into that overall scheme. Is there a reason? Well, I guess you just maybe made one reason why. Why go after Texas first instead of Georgia or uh, North Carolina? Is it does the fact, other racist states? Yeah, does it? <laughs> well, he mentioned. I mean, does it does it matter that I realize this was about uh, redistricting and not about voter ID? But you did have one court ruling that there was 
actual discrimination within intentional the dr- discrimination intentional within discrimination. the drawing of the house and the congressional so maps in Texas. Is there is there a legal reason to go after Texas first if you're the Justice Department as opposed to some of the other states that have similar voter ID laws? Well, there's that one. So there was a there was a track in the redistricting case where a circuit court in D.C. three federal judges found that in drawing the Texas House maps and the Texas congressional maps that the state intentionally discriminated. So the basis or part of the basis for the federal intervention in the redistricting case in Texas and the suit in the voter ID case is that because of this finding of intentional discrimination in the D.C. court, it's not like this is a historical pattern. It's a current pattern. And, and that's their plea to the court. It's, you know, so we'll see how that goes. All right, let's move on to another nerdy topic. And this one's all you can take. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Reeves' eyes have totally glazed over. It rolled right back in his head. It was interesting. Uh, Ben, can you give us an update on Poopgate, please? Oh, I was hoping (laughs) you were going to ask Ben. Dang, I was hoping for C-Scope. Really? Poopgate? Okay. We should do C-Scope after this. Poopgate, to me, sound like they belong together. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that there are some uh, Tea Party groups that say they found lesson plans on uh, pooping in jars. So, you know. Yeah, communist (laughs) jars. (laughs) Communist jars. Uh, You know, it uh, it was a great week for, I don't know, for all of us on Twitter, really. for those of you the who night, don't know what yeah, Poopgate is, the we night, talk uh, about it for 20 minutes. Please explain what Poopgate is. The night of uh, – this is the final vote in the Senate on the controversial abortion um, uh, a bill that uh, regulates and restricts abortions in Texas. The DPS put out a press release in the middle of the – well, middle of the early evening that said, hey, we have discovered – 18 is it 18 jars that we think contain feces and another one that had urine or so uh immediately of course all the 700 reporters that were stationed at the capitol for that laughing no oh um, immediately (laughs) the reporters start running up correctly to searching for different dps people different (laughs) activists and saying where are the jars show us the jars this is fascinating where are the jars and, um, you know, several tweets went out immediately saying, um, I've talked to three different officers and they say they've seen nothing. I've talked to this officer. He says he's seen nothing. I've talked to this officer. She says she's right, seen nothing. Move on. <laughs> so eventually we filed a whole bunch of open records requests right. saying for each jar, show us the jar, show us the jar, Here's show the us what is the what is the reason that you put out this press release? And about the only thing that the emails showed is so that they, they really wanted one, but they apparently couldn't find those one. Those documents came back this week is basically yes. the update. And it, it did show they found some – they got some bricks. They have some pictures of bricks. They have a picture of paint. a can of paint. Um, and they have a lot of text messages from unnamed individuals supposedly – I mean uh, presumably DPS officers saying, I didn't see anything. But right. you, took a, you took a picture of a brick that you confiscated or but that was turned in. Poop. Confiscated is a touchy word here. That was turned in. And you didn't take a picture of the poop that was turned in? It's just not credible. No. And you can also see in these emails a lot of them, you know, corresponding with each other internally saying the Texas Tribune is reporting that, you know, we don't have any evidence. Where's the evidence? Someone show us the evidence so that we can, you know, shoot this down. And they they are – you see them get upset. They're like, why why would we make this up? Like why would anyone believe that we would make this up? And I do think that it is – I don't believe that maybe they made it up intentionally, but that rumors, you know, have a way of spreading. But their press release was so specific and right. so yeah, it wasn't. We found so, discovered some jars. It was yeah. eighteen yeah. with one that had urine, and, I mean, and it showed it that was, they, they were so desperate to get information out. If they had had information, they would have put it out with this 
uh, set of emails and, and text messages and things that they spent about a month pulling together, it if, seemed like. If, if it was me running the gate, and it wasn't me running the gate, but if it was me running the gate and I saw a jar of poop go by and I wanted to tell the press about it in some way or another, I would certainly either keep it or have a picture or some documentary evidence of it because it's such an outlandish thing to claim. And there's – in terms of the way the night worked and what the DPS had to do that night, which Somebody was not an easy seen. night, um, there was really no reason to put out the press release unless you were trying to stir it up a little, I think. <laughs> I mean, why, why not? <laughs> oh, sorry. That's nice. But, I mean, why put out the press release? Did Well, also, everything else did we that need was to know that night. Um, look at how many pictures there were of tampons right. everywhere because right. they were confiscating tampons. You know, there were photographers there shooting basically everything that came out of somebody's bag because they wanted to, you know – Show what they were confiscating, and nobody saw poop. Nobody. You're in line behind. You're in line behind a crazy person carrying a jar of poop, and you don't take a photo. I'd take a photo, even if I would. And and I gotta say here, you know, because everybody who was over there was really um, giving laurels to the to the DPS people that yeah. were on the site. They did a really really great job that night. You know, nobody got hurt. It was a weird night. It didn't really get out of hand. The, you know, it was all sort of the administrative level and the press releases and all of that kind of junk. And I think one thing that's lost sort of in the discussion of the uh, pooplessness of everything <laughs> is the um, – so they, they were reacting, I think, sort of uh, highly reactive because there were all these rumors about things that were going to happen. You know, they were worried about people throwing uh, menstrual blood on lawmakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they'd heard, and, but it, what the documents they released show is that all these rumors uh, were sort of coming from the other side. It was basically we hear – from pro-lifers that the mm-hmm. pro-choice people might do this outlandish thing. And they had a couple comments from some pro-choice people on Facebook saying they want to do this stuff, but then other people, other pro-choicers also saying, no, no, don't. We want this to be calm. So it seemed like a lot of the rumor mongering was about what was going to happen was sort of stirred up by the other side. No, well, they did find bricks and paint, apparently, right? They, Which is nothing they, to really... They, they found know, a lot of weird see, stuff. Like, I mean, you know, people scary. got in, people got into the gallery. I thought this was sort of interesting. People got into the gallery with enough chain to lash to themselves, themselves to the on. brass rails. I know. I mean, what were they searching yeah. for if they couldn't yeah. find well, and, that? And, Padlocks. Right. Don't you know? they go through a metal detector? Yeah. Well, no, you don't if you have a concealed handgun license. But do you think those... Do you think those I, people I sincerely had concealed handguns? I should say those people. I sincerely doubt the people who chained themselves up there have concealed handguns licenses. The people have nuanced political views, and some people that are pro-choice also <laughs> shoot guns. Right. And have concealed handguns. I don't licenses. think this was a night of nuance. <laughs> I also think this would be a night – I mean, well, it's just, that's it's, another it's just It's yeah, just right. passing strange that you could you know, confiscate or see 19 jars of whatever and not have any documentary evidence at all. So and, was, and all the – I should say all the documents that produced from this from – I this, just heard Ross say, I should say <laughs> – Let's. So is this case closed? Always raising the level yeah. of debate here. I, just, you can look at all these documents online. We've got them attached to our story. That you know all the all the back and forth with DPS and inside DPS. So, but is, do we keep talking about this? And clearly, just we are keep demanding Absolutely. them to, to produce evidence, or do we say there was no poop? Move on. We're done here. There was no poop. Yeah, it's a it's a no shit story. <laughs> all right. This will be the last podcast where we get to talk about Poopgate. I know you're all really disappointed. I doubt that, seriously. Shall we talk about the C-Scope debate? Sure, if anybody knows what it is. <laughs> Reeve, luckily, was there. Yeah. Was it, Weren't you there to see a band, though? You just accidentally wandered onto the debate? <laughs> uh, <laughs> how disappointing. You went to see a band, and you got Dan Patrick and, and Thomas Ratliff. It was, it was one of the best openers I've ever seen. <laughs> 
C-Scope is a curriculum service that uh, is used largely in small rural school districts around the state, and it's become controversial. It provides lesson plans. Among other things. Yeah, right. just a lot of stuff. Yeah. Revised lesson plans. Uh, it became controversial. Dan Patrick, state senator from Houston, who's running for lieutenant governor, really went after it during the session. What's the controversy? I mean, is it the in controversy, a nutshell? The controversy is that uh, parents had concerns about uh, some of the lesson plans and were unable to get information about the lesson plans. And then when they did get information about the lesson plans, um, they felt like some of it was objectionable because – uh, it was not pro-America and pro-capitalism enough. It sort of talked about looking at things from the British perspective, specifically the Boston Tea Party. It uh, educated students about the concept of communism and other objectionable, other objectionable things. Is it required? Uh, is no. it a mandated curriculum or is it a curriculum? No, the, schools choose, one? the school districts choose to use it. And, and if you talk to different curriculum specialists around the state, the, the point with the lesson plans is not that the teacher takes them, walks into the classroom, and reads them verbatim to the students. It's that this is a guide, especially for first-year students, uh, first-year teachers, excuse me, um, or a teacher that uh, is maybe teaching a new subject for the first time, to uh, kind of plan out how they're going to structure their co- their course over a semester. But it was never a uh, here is my lesson plan. I'm not going to deviate from it one bit, whether I think that there are problems with the lesson plan or not. We did find some pretty good sex ed flashcards in there. <laughs> no, we learned a well, lot. I mean, we <laughs> looking through it, the whole lesson plans are up on our website. It's true. All 10,000 of them. And there is some pretty interesting stuff. I wouldn't call it anti-American, but there's definitely some fun and amusing stuff in there. Well, uh, yeah, but and what was interesting, actually, so Dan Patrick said he would debate anyone, anytime, anywhere about this because he's really taken the lead on fighting, getting rid of the C-scope lesson plans. As long as nobody politicizes it. <laughs> and Thomas Ratliff, a State Board of Education member, uh, took him up on it, and they had this debate in Tyler over the weekend. And really, um, what was interesting about it is they sort of skirted around the content questions. But isn't that the whole question? No, it really became it really became an issue. They were really debating the transparency of it and the difficulty about getting the information about the lesson plans. Um, Good and, thing for there's the Texas Tribune. And so what Ratliff was what Ratliff was arguing is basically like, well, we've solved that problem. You did a good job, you know, raising that issue, and you've solved that problem. But um, uh, and so then the debate just sort of devolved quickly into just sort of yelling back and forth. It was unclear about what exactly. And then there was this moment where both Ratliff and Patrick had to admit to each other that neither one of them had really read a significant number of the lesson plans anyway. Oh, that's greatness. Who was well, the band you went to hear? How's that? <laughs> oh, it was uh, Johnny and the Nightcrawlers, my uncle actually, uh, out in Tyler. So I highly recommend anyone out there in Tyler who's listening to this Troopcast go check them out. Was it better than the debate? Yeah, no, it was, there was a lot of structure to their songs. And, and <laughs> Good arguments. They knew their content. Yeah. So, but what Did really, their songs talk about how the Tea Party, uh, but, Boston Tea Party people were terrorists? <laughs> but what was interesting about it was that uh, there, was, there, w- there was less daylight between the two debaters than sort of I expected. They both agreed that transparency was good and uh, parents should be able to see lesson plans. Um, and they both agreed that C-scope lesson plans, which are now in the public domain, so even though Patrick thought he had shut them down, they're still being used in schools. Uh, they both agreed that those are going to be reviewed by the state board, and and that review should sort of tell them what they need to know about the content questions. And so, but and beyond that, they just sort of bickered. It seemed like to the largely extent- driven by sort of. Uh, 
maybe a personal distaste for each other, but and and sort of a, a distaste for each other's sort of you know just ways of operating. But, to the extent uh, that they were looking for political advantage, did either one of them find it? Patrick insisted it wasn't a political event. Uh, event. Ratliff insisted probably was a politically motivated event for Patrick. Um, uh, so I don't I, I don't think either of them came away as big winners. Uh, Ratliff came very well prepared. He had a you know a, a Dropbox online that people could follow along on the debate, full of tabs that were, you know, full of information and data, and that probably helped him with because it seemed like he had more facts on his side. Uh, but he also he he sort of uh, gave Patrick credit for getting transparency out of this curriculum, even though it was brought up that other curriculums have the exact used around the state have the exact same content questions if you really want to look into them. And Patrick said, well, no one's complained to me about other curriculums. So that's why I went after Cisco. So uh, really, it was, a lot of, it, yeah. was, it was a lot of uh, hoopla. And I'm not sure the state got a lot out of it. Did they, was there a discussion of of the curriculum problems that have been brought up by the groups that hate Cscope? I mean, was there a question of what about the Boston Tea Party? What about teaching uh, Islam? What about I mean the different things that people have? I mean that that you know that kind of led all the rallies to get rid of it. It just wasn't the main focus of the debate. It came up briefly, and there was sort of like, yeah, well, let's let's focus on the transparency stuff, basically, and like whether or not this was this company was put together legitimately or not. So I thought it was interesting that they skirted around that. That has been the big issue, but. Uh, what else is on people's minds? Anyone want to talk about the Wendy Davis's statement on the American Airlines merger? Well, she's running. Well, this is an interesting thing. You know, uh, Greg Abbott has jumped out uh, actually in parallel with Eric Holder um, against the merger. I think he's going to call you and deny that. Well, they're no, it's, it's undeniable. <laughs> they're both against the merger. Maybe they don't. Maybe they're not talking to each other, but they're both against the merger. Uh, Wendy Davis has come out um, in favor of the merger. Um, American Airlines wants it. You know, I think this is going to politically, this comes down to a mathematical calculation of which one gets more jobs. You know, and, and if, if, if whatever the outcome of this turns out to be, you know, positive in terms of jobs, then whoever was on that side of this particular legal fight is going to be the winner here. Um, well, it's also in her backyard. I it, mean, it looks risky. It, it looks kind of risky for Abbott, frankly. Um, I was listening to him on conservative talk radio, and he was getting raked over the coals. And he like said, "Look, if we didn't have a smoking gun, we have company executives talking about sort of the benefits to sort of ramp to them in terms of ramping up prices that come along with cornering this market. Right. Um, if we didn't have that, then I wouldn't be doing this. But it's my job to enforce the law, and that's what I'm doing." But the the host, I forget who it was, did not buy that at all. He was like, "You're anti-competition." Most well, job, you know, jobs versus airline fares. If you're in a political fight and you're fighting for airline fares at, a, at the cost of jobs, that's a tough fight to win. Yeah. And, right. But does but does uh, Davis jump into this fight at all if she's not running for governor? While we're still well, waiting and speculating, like I said, I, I do think it's in her backyard. I mean, and and you know, also she's done legal work for DFW Airport. I mean, this is an issue she happens to be pretty um, well versed in, regardless of whether she's running for governor. It's but local, I do local think for either race. It's local for either race. I do think the timing of her jumping into it, you know, after Abbott had had weighed in, it does make it seem more gubernatorial. And than... one minute after a statewide Lone Star Project blast on well, the exact same thing. Right. Yeah, but the Lone Star Project's run by her consultant's brother. Right. So that's so all going to happen at the same time easy. anyway. 
But it is this is a subject that I think she knows a lot about in addition to – although I do think it was politically timed, obviously. And, and I don't see any question yet. I, I don't see much question remaining about whether she runs or not. It's just a question of when she's going to announce. I think she's running for governor. She's made every – Everything she's done looks like a gubernatorial candidate. I mean, she could, you know, she could still get to the end and say, you know, I've talked to people all over the country, and I don't think I can raise enough money to do that, so I'm not going to do it. That could still happen. But I think everything she's been doing since the night of the filibuster points to a gubernatorial race. Right. She's supposed to announce. I mean, if she announces or she makes her decision, she said it's going to be sometime shortly after Labor Day, right? right? I mean, I wonder. Her father has been very ill. I don't know if that throws a wrench into her or changes the schedule for her announcement at all. But um, that's the timeline we're looking at. I, I think she's also in the maybe the state party. The Democrats have kind of are in are backed into a corner on this one. I mean, there's no Plan Nobody B, else. right? And um, there's no Plan B. So there. So it's Wendy Davis or. It's, it's know, all of a theme. Democrats wait till you know twenty good one, Rave. twenty thirty two. I mean, I don't know, <laughs> right? Well, uh, I guess well, you know. Hopefully, we will not have to keep talking about this on the next podcast. Although I suspect we will because we have to wait till after, it'll be after Labor Day by then. It's true. It just depends on how quickly after Labor Day she announces. We can just keep speculating and speculating. It's what uh, we're good at. All right, something to look forward to. <laughs> Todd always enjoys the speculation about. Whether or not Wendy Davis is going to run. Yeah. If you have questions or comments on other things that you'd like us to uh, speculate about, email them to tribcast at texastribune.org. In the meantime, we'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music. And on behalf of Ross, Ben, Emily, and our producer Todd, this is Reeve. Thanks for listening. Take some in next tonight. What?